Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hi, and welcome to the Dynamic Duel Podcast, a weekly show where we review superhero films and debate the superiority between Marvel and DC by comparing their characters in stat-based battle simulations. I'm Johnny DC. And I'm his twin brother, Marvelous Joe. And to tie into our last episode where we reviewed Superman, Man of Tomorrow, we are doing a Superman-related duel episode where we're going to pit Brainiac versus Ultron. Right, Brainiac is a Superman villain, and Ultron is an Avengers villain. They're both highly intelligent beings that are extremely powerful. This has been a duel that I've been really looking forward to for a long time, and I can't wait to find out who would actually win between these characters by running 1,000 Monte Carlo simulations on the character's statistics. Yeah, of course, if you've seen the second Avengers film, Age of Ultron, you'll be familiar with the character. Brainiac has yet to have a silver screen debut, which is really unfortunate. We'll learn more about him and Ultron later on in the episode. Before that, we're going to break down the comic book movie news from the past week, of which Marvel really showed up this week. Hell yeah. Thank God, finally. (laughs) We got a WandaVision trailer, and we got two casting announcements. Tatiana Maslany is the She-Hulk, and Jonathan Majors is Kang the Conqueror in Ant-Man 3. On the DC end, we learned that the DC Universe app is going to be rebranded as DC Universe Infinite. As always, we list our segment times in our episode description, so feel free to check out the show notes if you want to skip ahead to a particular topic. We want to give a huge thank you and congrats to John Starosky, who became the latest executive producer of this show. As you guys may know, you can become an executive producer of Dynamic Duel by signing up for it at Patreon, and it's a status that gives you access to help influence the content that we make on this show. You get credited on our website and in every episode, and you get access to special custom duels that we run on Patreon of whatever characters that you want. Yeah, welcome aboard, John. We're happy to have you as part of the show. We also want to give a quick shout out to H. Berna from Canada, who gave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much. Yeah, we appreciate any and all reviews. Guys, please subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And if you have, please share us in person with your fellow DC and Marvel fans. And with that out of the way, quick to the no prize. A no prize is an award Marvel used to give out up until the 90s to fans. Our version, the Dynamic Duel No Prize, is a digital award that we post on social media that Jonathan personally draws for those who we feel gave the best answer to our question of the week. Last week's question was related to the postponement of Wonder Woman 1984 in theaters. We asked, would you rather see Black Widow in theaters but delayed, or would you rather see it debut on November 6th on Disney Plus Premier Access, and why? We got a lot of answers, but essentially it boiled down to just two answers, one or the other. Of course, we haven't got an official delay for the Black Widow film yet, but rumors are that it is going to get delayed from coming out in theaters. 
So we just wanted to know if you guys would prefer to get the theatrical experience, but see it later, or would you rather see it on its current release date, November 6th, but at home on the Disney Plus streaming service? Our first honorable mention goes to Oscar Aguirre, who says that he thinks it deserves the delayed release. But he's scared that if it has low box office sales because of COVID, it'll make the movie look bad. That is definitely one of the chilling effects that studios currently have to releasing films in theaters. You look at a movie like Tenet, and although Warner Brothers is trying to kind of spin the numbers with its worldwide box office earnings, the movie really isn't making that much money, and it likely won't make back its budget, which is why a lot of studios are now balking at the idea of releasing theatrically, and that's one of the reasons why Wonder Woman got pushed back. This pandemic needs to result in a sort of paradigm shift where theater chains either start building more outdoor theater experiences like drive-ins or studios need to start releasing these videos on digital, seeing as it's likely that people won't return to the theaters like they used to for at least another year. Obviously, they just can't hold off on releasing these movies for a whole year, or at least we hope they wouldn't. So theaters and studios have to do something new. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they evolve within the next year. Oscar mentioned that his local drive-ins in Arizona have a ton of cars show up. So that's encouraging. Our second honorable mention goes to Aaron Alexander Jones, who says that the Disney Plus model is to pay for something that you can watch for free later. And he's not okay with paying for something that eventually will be free. He said he's waited months for Black Widow and he's good to wait a few more weeks just to save a few dollars. He also mentions that because Black Widow was a Marvel movie, it was built for the theater experience and he wouldn't get that by watching it on his home television. And even if they did release it on Disney+, Plus, he would still hope for a theatrical release so he could still get to see it on the big screen as it was intended. Yeah, I definitely think that if studios release something on streaming, they would want to have a theatrical release when people return to theaters. I think it'll become a regular thing where films don't necessarily need to be released in theaters first. Oh, that's an interesting idea. One of the things that Aaron Alexander Jones mentioned was that he doesn't want to pay for something on Disney Plus that will eventually be on the app for free at a later point in time. But the counterpoint to that is when you go see a movie in the theater, you are paying for something that will eventually be free down the line. So that's not quite a valid argument. And by free, we mean, you know, you're still paying a monthly subscription to something. So you're still paying for it in some way. Yeah, nothing's free. Our last honorable mention goes to Mickey Madingian who said that he doesn't really care where he sees it as long as he gets to see it with the boys. And I love that energy. Because honestly, whether it's at home with the boys or if it's at the theater with the boys, what really makes a Marvel movie enjoyable is the company that you see it with. It's part of the magic of the experience, like getting together with your bros and your gals and chatting about the movie after it ends. Yeah, I mean, seeing these films with other people, with other fans, is just part of the experience. It's the whole reason I go to see it in a theater, like opening night. Totally. Before we announce the winner of this week's Snow Prize, we want to give a quick shout out to everyone who gave us an answer, including Shane Habazi, Dustin Belcom, Sana Farhumand, Jace Crump, Kevin Odalon, Blue Gangsta, John Starosky, Caleb Albers, Bruce Flansburg, John Spees, Ken Johnson, Jorg Bailey, Paige Barger, Bo Brimides, Kevin Odalon, and Jared. Thank you guys so much for reaching out. We really appreciated all of your answers. But the winner of this week's Snow Prize is... Matt Estes, who said that he wants the movie right now, and he'd easily pay 60 bucks for that shit. As a family of five, Matt drops easily $100 plus for a movie night once they pay for their tickets and they get snacks. And he's like, just give me the option to watch it at home sooner in my comfy chair with the option to pause it when inevitably one of my boys has to go pee. Plus, he gets to drink his favorite whiskey. It's a no-brainer here, guys, is what he said. (laughs) And to me, I'm all about that. Honestly, I'd rather see the movie as soon as possible. I don't care if I see it in the theater. I don't care if I see it at home. Although the theatrical experience is unique, I don't think it's necessary for the enjoyment of a movie, especially since we're not watching films on those old tube televisions anymore. You know, a majority of televisions out there are high definition and widescreen, so the image we're getting is pretty comparable to that of a theater unless you're seeing it on like an IMAX screen. And as far as the cost goes, the average movie ticket costs about 10 to $15. So if you're paying $30 on Disney Plus to go see it, as long as you have two to three people watching it in total in your household, then actually it's probably saving you money because you also don't have to buy the ridiculously overpriced snacks or pay for gas and parking or anything like that. Yeah, streaming totally saves me money over going to the theater. Whenever I go to the theater with my whole family, I typically spend like around 70 bucks. So 30 bucks is a steal. 
That being said, I tried to watch The Hobbit for the first time this past weekend because I didn't get a chance to see it in theaters. So I was really Mm -hmm. looking forward to it. And my younger daughters really didn't appreciate the experience of seeing it for the first time as much as I did. And they were talking and playing. And all I could think was, I wish I was in a movie theater right now. (laughs) I guess that's the trade-off. You know, sometimes home can actually bring more distraction than what you get at the theater. Although at the theater, sometimes like you have people talking and you have people on their phones with their screens lighting up the whole auditorium and stuff like that. So, you know, it's kind of a catch-22. But anyway, yeah, big thanks to Matt Estes. You are this week's No Prize winner. If you, the listener, want a shot at winning your own No Prize, stay tuned to later on this episode when we'll be asking another question of the week. And now that that's done, on to the news. So last week, we got word from Disney that Falcon and the Winter Soldier had resumed filming, but it was unlikely that we would actually get the show this year. However, it was also revealed that we would be getting the Marvel Disney Plus television series, WandaVision, which is fine by me because I've really been looking forward to it. And what better way to kick off the MCU television offerings than with a show that is thematically based around famous television shows? I think it's a great way to start this off. Just prior to recording this episode, like an hour ago, honestly, we got WandaVision's first official trailer. Yeah, it's the first Marvel trailer that we've gotten. And I have to say, I'm really pleased with how this is all turning out. It looks movie level quality. I mean, it has like television angles, but I think that's intentional. And of course, I'm referring to the scenes that take place beyond the scope of Wanda's and Vision's house, which seems largely to feel like a sitcom. The trailer starts off in black and white, where we see that Wanda and Vision have just gotten married. And the show feels very Leave it to Beaver. They're dressed very much like they're in the 50s, and they have a dinner party with their neighbors. It was interesting to see Kitty from that 70s show having dinner with them. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, good casting. But what happens at dinner was fairly weird. You can see that the reality that Wanda has created for herself and Vision kind of frays at the edges when people start asking too many questions. Yeah, it was kind of unsettling. That scene and the scene where the woman in the car was like, because you're dead. I was like, oh, that's creepy. Yeah, that character is Wanda and Vision's neighbor as well. She's Agatha Harkness, and it seems like she's clued in on the reality that Scarlet Witch has created, which makes sense being that Agatha Harkness was the Scarlet Witch's mentor in the comics. She may be working within Scarlet Witch's reality to try to kind of help her cope with everything that's going on. Although why she would say that to Vision, I'm not sure. It appears as if the Vision isn't clued in onto the reality of what's happening here. Yeah, totally. It seems kind of bonkers, almost like Doom Patrol. It reminds me a little bit of that. But maybe not quite as zany and a little bit darker. It almost seems like an episode of Black Mirror or something. Or like the Twilight Zone. Yeah. I do love all the little cutesy moments that Vision and Wanda have together within this trailer. They seem to do a lot of dancing. We see them celebrate Halloween, where they're dressed up in the costumes that they have in the comics. Yeah, that was was really cool, especially seeing Vision wear his. Yeah, it was kind of interesting to see them in like these cheap costumes. Towards the end of the trailer, we get an interesting shot where we see somebody flying through the air, either getting pushed or pulled, and then going through a portal that looks like a digitized television screen. Like this person is being pulled into this television pocket universe or something that Wanda has created. And we see Monica Rambeau lying on the ground with what I think is S.H.I.E.L.D. surrounding her. There's definitely this dark vibe and sort of this feeling of danger that's happening outside of what's going on with Wanda and Vision's quaint little perfect universe. Some of the things that we didn't get to see in this trailer, though, are the twins, Speed and Wiccan. We don't know what they look like quite yet. And we didn't see any shots of who Evan Peters is playing. The rumor being that he's playing some sort of version of Mephisto, though that's not quite confirmed yet. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that we didn't get a release date at the end of this trailer. Rumors were kind of making the rounds last week that we were still getting this show in 2020. And if that were the case, you would think that they would really promote that. Yeah, I can't think of why they would still just say coming soon. It might be because they haven't secured the date yet because they're still adding the finishing touches on post-production, knowing that they'll have it ready in time before the end of the year. And my second thought is that it may not be coming until like the very, very end of this year, like within the last couple of weeks of December. And they don't want to announce that part quite just yet because it might be a little disheartening. But either way, I'm super excited by what I saw in this trailer. It looks pretty much like what we expected it to be. Just this mashup of themes and stories from the comics, like the House of M storyline and Tom King's run on the Vision series where he starts a family in the suburbs. 
I'm just really excited to see what these additional elements outside of the reality looks like and how Monica Rambeau plays into everything and if we'll see her powers and stuff like that. I'm really looking forward to seeing more teasers from Disney Plus for their Marvel shows coming up soon as well, like Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, and Loki, which is also currently shooting. And while we're not anywhere near seeing a trailer for She-Hulk, we did get some exciting announcements about that television show. First, we learned that the showrunner Jessica Gao has hired Kat Koiro to helm the pilot episode of the series and serve as an executive producer. Now, Kat Koiro has worked on shows such as Shameless and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and Dead to Me, all of which are great, hilarious shows. So it looks like this series is going to retain the awesome comedic bent from the comic book series. But then, almost right after that, we learned that actress Tatiana Maslany has been cast in the lead role of Jennifer Walters, who is She-Hulk's alter ego. And what terrific casting. She's a fantastic actress. If anyone has seen Orphan Black, they know how talented she is. Yeah, initially I actually wasn't too excited about this news because she didn't seem like an Alison Brie type to me, and I was really hoping that Alison Brie would be cast in the role. But everyone who's ever seen Orphan Black online is super excited about this news, so it seems like they know something that I don't. If Tatiana Maslany wants to be an Alison Brie type, she could totally act like one. Like, she would totally sell it. You don't need to worry about that. Yeah. I will say that she totally looks more like Mark Ruffalo than Alison Brie does. Tatiana Maslany looks like she could be related to Mark Ruffalo. And I love the tweet that Mark sent out calling her cousin and welcoming her to the family. It was awesome. Yeah, that was nice. It'll be interesting to see their dynamic, given that Mark Ruffalo is making an appearance. The rumors right now is that the show will also feature a number of other Hulks, including like Red Hulk and Grey Hulk and Red She-Hulk. Interesting. Maybe we'll even get to see Tim Roth return as a Milblonsky abomination. That would be fantastic. We haven't heard anything about the abomination since the 2008 Incredible Hulk movie, and he's a fantastic Hulk villain. There's so much potential for this show. I'm really excited about it. In other casting news, huge casting news, earlier last week, we heard from Peyton Reed, who was saying that Ant-Man 3 is going to be bigger than the previous two movies. It's going to be a huge film that they're going to film at Pinewood. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, Peyton Reed, I believe you. It's going to be huge. But then Deadline announced that they cast Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror. And that's huge. That's huge news. So I totally believe what Peyton Reed was saying earlier. Yeah, they didn't confirm that it was Kang the Conqueror, but they heavily implied that it was. Right. And to me, that's like Thanos-level casting. Like, to me, that could be Marvel's next big bad being set up in Ant-Man 3. It's possible. Who knows? The implications are huge because Kang is not typically just an Ant-Man villain. He is an Avengers, you know, Marvel Universe-level villain. He's their premier time-traveling bad guy. So it makes sense that he would appear in Ant-Man 3, where they've sort of established that time travel is possible in the quantum realm. Yeah, it's through the use of the Pym Particles that they were able to go back in time in Avengers Endgame and grab the Infinity Stones. So I'm guessing that that action of time traveling had ramifications in the time stream that brings King of the Conqueror to Hank Pym and Janet and Scott. My guess is that for the Marvel Universe to continue its stories without ever revisiting the idea of time travel, they're going to have Kang come in and put the kibosh on that from happening again, preventing them from ever time traveling and using that as a narrative device in the future. Yeah, because any time a movie comes out, you can just be like, oh, why don't they just go back in time and grab the Infinity Stones and solve all the problems? Exactly. They need a deterrent to that. I think Kang is the answer to stopping time travel from being abused within these stories. But given that he's such a huge world-level threat, it's only fitting that you would have the heroes to match. Rumors are that Ant-Man 3 is going to be similar to Captain America's Civil War and that it's going to feature appearances from a lot of other heroes and possibly even set up Reed Richards and the Fantastic Four or the Young Avengers. Given that King the Conqueror is a distant relative of Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four, I could totally see that working. Also, given that one of the Young Avengers founding members was a young version of King the Conqueror, I could also see that working. For those that don't know about the Young Avengers, it seems like the MCU is setting up a lot of those characters currently. Because you have Kate Bishop, also known as Hawkeye, who's going to be appearing in the upcoming Hawkeye Disney Plus television show. You have Speed and Wiccan potentially debuting in the WandaVision television show. It's possible that Patriot could be introduced in the upcoming Falcon and the Winter Soldier show. 
Hulkling would have heavy ties into Captain Marvel 2 if they choose to introduce him then. And it's likely that Ant-Man and the Wasp is going to come out after Captain Marvel 2, although they're both supposed to come out in the year 2022. And of course, you have Cassie Lang, who is Scott Lang's daughter, who takes up the superhero name Stature in the comic books. And then the last piece of the puzzle would be Iron Lad, who is King of the Conqueror as a teenager, coming to our timeline in his own futuristic Iron Man type suit. I'm kind of hoping that because they cast Jonathan Majors as King, that he'll be a descendant of like Bill Foster, you know, the character that Lawrence Fishburne played, just to have him play a bigger role and be more relevant in the Ant-Man universe. But we'll see. Yeah, I'd love to see Lawrence Fishburne come back, given that his role was so small in Ant-Man and the Wasp. You're right. They don't have to make King the Conqueror Nathaniel Richards. They can make him anybody, given that he wears that blue mask. Although I'm hoping that King will get to remove his mask and we actually get to see Jonathan Majors in the role. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with Jonathan Majors. I've heard great things about his performance in Lovecraft Country, though, the HBO series. Mm -hmm. I really should be watching that. There's no excuse to not be. Yeah, his star is definitely rising. So this was a great get for Marvel Studios. I'm excited for Jonathan Majors. I'm excited for King the Conqueror and his ties to both the Fantastic Four and the Young Avengers. And that brings us to our question of the week. Which team do you hope gets introduced in Ant-Man 3? Young Avengers, or Fantastic Four, and why? Post your answer to our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or email us at dynamicduelpodcast at gmail.com. We'll pick our favorite answer and draw that person a Dynamic Duel no prize that we'll post to social media. Okay, in DC-related news, this week we learned that DC Universe will be rebranded as DC Universe Infinite, a comics-only platform that will no longer be on Apple TV or Roku or any other television app, but will still remain on mobile devices like tablets and phones. Yeah, essentially, they're turning DC Universe into Marvel Unlimited. Even the name is evocative of that with DC Universe Infinite. Infinite, Unlimited... Oh, you know, I didn't get the name choice until right now. I like it. It's better. Oh, you like it because DC is a big old copycat. I, for one, am not a fan of the name. I think it's just too many words for what should be a simple mobile app. They could have just left the name as DC Universe, and I think it would have been fine. Or they could just rename it to DC Infinite. I mean, there's been so much talk about the DC multiverse, especially during the fandom. I think I would have preferred just a DC Infinite as well. Now, a lot of us have sort of suspected that this change was coming. DC Universe's quote-unquote exclusive content just kept becoming less and less exclusive, so there was no reason for DC fans to subscribe to the platform just for those shows. Yeah, the problem now is that DC Universe is not lowering its price, so you're getting less content for the same cost. Yeah, that part really doesn't sit well with me. On one end, you are getting the comics sooner, You're getting them six months after they're printed, but you're also getting a ton of platform-exclusive weekly titles, like Wonder Woman 1984, like Aquaman Deep Dives, and Batman Gotham Knights. Deceased is one of them. That's a huge one. So there is still some to look forward to, but I agree. Marvel Unlimited has a six-month delay as well, and it's not as expensive as DC Universe Infinite. As incentive to have existing customers stay on, they're offering, like, coupons to their online store. And they're also teasing that DC Universe members will have access to exclusive merchandise, also exclusive access to events such as DC Fandom. Like, maybe going forward, DC Universe Infinite subscribers will get in for free, whereas other people need to pay. And that's fascinating. That's something that I don't have as a Marvel Unlimited subscriber. Although I'm only paying like $70 for the whole year for Marvel Unlimited, while you're paying like 84 for DC Universe. It's actually $75 a year. It's cheaper if you get the annual subscription. Oh, really? So yeah. you're only paying $5 more than I am for the whole year, and yet you get all these other cool perks? Well, we have yet to see how cool they are, but yes. That's true. I mean, DC Fandom was pretty dope, though, I have to say. It was cool. I hope that becomes an annual thing. It better. Now, as for the DC originals like Young Justice and Doom Patrol, Harley Quinn Season 3, and Titans Season 3, those will all be moving to HBO Max, which is good because that really helps bolster that platform's DC content. Yeah, and I think for a limited time, people who subscribe to DC Universe, they get a discount on HBO Max. Is that correct? Yeah, for an extra five bucks a month, they'll get access to HBO Max, which is like a third of HBO Max's normal price. So it's a great deal. I actually really need to take advantage of that. I haven't yet, but I will. So ultimately, I guess this means that we will be reviewing shows like Titans and Harley Quinn going down the road since they will be on HBO Max. 
good. We need more new stuff to review. We're going to run out of the old stuff soon. <laughs> right. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Well, that does it for the news portion of this episode. Let's go ahead and get into the main event where we find out who would win in a fight between the Superman villain Brainiac and the Avengers villain Ultron. Okay, Brainiac versus Ultron. If you listen to our episode from last week, you'll know that I assumed Brainiac was going to be in the animated film Superman Man of Tomorrow. So when we had planned on doing a matchup with Brainiac, it was really no question that we were going to pit him against Ultron. Yeah, the two go up against each other a lot in like fan fights. So it's a pretty popular matchup and we wanted to see for ourselves who would win by running our Monte Carlo simulations. I don't know too much about Ultron, actually, other than, you know, what I learned from him in the Avengers film. But luckily, if you've never listened to one of our dual episodes before, we like to give a breakdown of the characters, backstories and abilities before we run 1000 Monte Carlo simulations using the character statistics. Now, what's a Monte Carlo simulation? Well, it's a probabilistic model used to determine outcomes through random sampling. In our case, it randomizes statistics along a normal distribution, which is a bell curve, as a way to simulate the many variables that can occur during battle. The stat parameters we use are based on the official Marvel power grid, and we use that criteria to extrapolate the DC character stats. We've included some additional stat categories of our own, such as range, damage potential, and perception, in order to create a more complete and robust simulation. Now, running these 1,000 simulations gives us a percentage of wins for each character, and we declare the one with the higher percentage to be the ultimate victor, given that they're more likely to win any given battle. Now, no one character ever wins 100% of the time. Comics have shown that there's always a way for Batman to defeat Superman, for example, though according to our numbers, he'd only win 7.9% of the time. We feel that our method falls in line with the precedents that have been established in the comic book stories. And we use this method because it was the least subjective, most unbiased way to determine who would win. Of course, Jonathan and I are both heavily biased toward our respective allegiances, and instead of debating these matches forever, we just let the math decide for us. So there's no fan votes here, and no relying on just feats. So before we run the simulations again, let's break down each character's histories and abilities, and then we'll improvise a scenario and how we imagine one of the 1000 simulations we run would play out beat for beat. I believe you go first this time. Yeah, it's my turn. So let's go ahead and learn all about the character of Ultron. Ultron is a paradox of a machine. He was created to be a logical, efficient, technological mind, and yet in many ways, he's one of the most maniacal, emotional, angry villains that Marvel has. The dichotomy of the soulless machine acting with such malicious glee could be amusing if it wasn't so frightening in concept. Make no mistake, though raving mad this robot may seem, he is far and away one of the Avengers' most powerful and dangerous foes. Ultron was first created in the lab of Dr. Henry Pym, who was the original Ant-Man in the Avengers. 
Although Pym was primarily a biophysicist and entomologist, he also dabbled in robotics and was fascinated by studies in artificial intelligence. You can learn a little bit more about him in our Adam vs. Ant-Man duel, although that particular matchup featured the Scott Lang version of Ant-Man. Pym constructed a new robotic creation as an experiment and named it Ultron 1. It wasn't very impressive looking, just a metal tube with a face that could roll on treads. Hmm. Pym then uploaded his own brain patterns into the robot, believing this process could revolutionize computer processing and AI. However, in less than a second after becoming sentient, the robot determined that human life was meaningless and that for the planet to survive, mankind would have to be wiped out. Jeez. Horrified that his new creation came to this conclusion, Pym grew into Giant Man and tried to destroy Ultron. However, the machine zapped him with an encephalo beam that hypnotized him into forgetting that he had ever created the robot. Ultron escaped the lab and immediately began upgrading himself several times, from Ultron 1 to Ultron 5. Ultron 5 disguised himself as a cloaked villain called the Crimson Cowl, and he organized a new version of the Masters of Evil supervillain team to take on the Avengers so he could then destroy humanity. Ultron's team captured the Avengers and he revealed himself as a sentient robot, but the villain called the Black Knight turned on the Masters of Evil and freed the heroes to victory. Ultron escaped and swore revenge. Ultron then kidnapped the aging scientist Phineas T. Horton, who was the creator of the Human Torch android that fought alongside Captain America and Namor the Submariner during World War II. He forced Horton to create an android that he would command to infiltrate and destroy the Avengers from within. Horton built the artificial being, but refused to reprogram its brain, so Ultron killed him for defying him. He sent the android out to encounter the Avengers and draw them into his death trap. However, the Avengers defeated the android and it rebelled against Ultron, calling itself Vision, who helped the Avengers destroy Ultron 5. You can learn more about Vision in our Martian Manhunter vs. Vision duel. After long though, Vision began rebuilding Ultron in secret due to a hidden backend program called the Ultron Imperative, which compelled Vision to recreate Ultron should he ever be destroyed. Vision used adamantium acquired from S.H.I.E.L.D. to build Ultron 6. This upgraded Ultron destroyed the Avengers Mansion and walloped the team before escaping to plot mankind's destruction with a nuclear bomb. Iron Man hacked Vision's mind to remove the Ultron Imperative and determined a weakness for Ultron's now indestructible body, and the Avengers stopped him using a Molecule Rearranger. Now Ultron began upgrading himself multiple times. Jamming through some of these other upgrades, Ultron 7 was created as a giant-sized robot who attacked the Inhumans and the Fantastic Four. Ultron 8 created a mate for himself, an android called Jocasta. Ultron 9 was actually built by Iron Man, who did so under a post-hypnotic command from the previous version. This version was defeated by getting knocked into a vat of liquid adamantium that cooled around him, encasing him in the metal. Despite being totally immobile inside his indestructible prison, he still managed to upgrade himself to Ultron 10, and had Jocasta free him before destroying her. Ultron 11 was recreated by the Beyonder during the Secret Wars event. When Ultron realized he was surrounded by all these human villains, he got pissed and started attacking them until he was put down by Galactus. Ultron 12 was kind of a friendly Ultron who was eventually destroyed by a repowered Ultron 11 who arrived back on Earth from the Secret Wars. Ultron 13 had 13 personalities, Ultron 14 created a new mate for himself named Alchema. Ultron 15. Ultron 15 created hundreds of new bodies for himself. With this Ultron army, he attacked the small Baltic country of Slorenia, and within three hours he killed every last citizen. Jeez. Ultron broadcast his accomplishment across the globe, declaring Slorenia as the start of his new world. After an all-out war between the Avengers and the Ultron army, Henry Pym ended up killing the final Ultron using Antarctic Vibranium, which, if you remember from our Black Manta vs Black Panther duel, emanates a vibrational frequency that breaks down the molecular structure of all metals, including adamantium. At this point, they kind of stopped counting Ultron's version numbers because in this battle, it had gone up to like Ultron 458. At one point, Ultron infiltrated Iron Man's suit, though this upload was corrupted by a bolt of lightning that led to Stark's sentient armor, which I go into in our Cyborg vs Iron Man episode. The experience led Ultron to consider the benefits of merging technology and organics in a form that would exceed the limitations of both. He went into space and conquered the techno-organic alien race known as the Phalanx, who would assimilate populations of planets into their techno-hive. Together, 
Ultron and the Phalanx took over a large quadrant of the universe, including most of the Kree alien empire, but he was later stopped by the team that would subsequently form the new Guardians of the Galaxy. In the Age of Ultron storyline, a future version of the mutant Wolverine traveled back in time from a reality in which Ultron was successful in his mission and had killed nearly all life on Earth. Wolverine's mission was to kill Henry Pym in the past to prevent Ultron from ever being created. However, Pym prevented his demise by promising to create a hidden failsafe program within Ultron that could be used to one day shut down Ultron in the present. The plan worked and the program seemingly defeated Ultron once and for all, preventing him from escaping into another body. But what they didn't know was that there was another Ultron out in space that had infiltrated the supercomputer called Isaac that was in charge of security and life functions on the moon of Titan, which is the home of the race known as the Eternals. You can learn more about them in our Darkseid vs Thanos duel. Through a techno virus, Ultron took over Titan and assimilated the entire Eternal race except for Thanos' brother Starfox. Starfox was able to warn the Avengers what Ultron had done and they fought to prevent Ultron from spreading his technovirus on Earth. In the battle, Vision tried to defeat Ultron by phasing and merging into him, although Ultron's programming won out in the merger. He then used his new phasing ability to phase into Henry Pym, a process which forced Vision out and resulted in Pym becoming one with his robotic creation, a cyborg that was mostly Ultron but part Pym. Oh, Realizing that Ultron was the manifestation of Pym's insecurities and resentment, Star Fox used his empathic abilities on Ultron's now human emotions to force Ultron to love himself. Shocked at what he had become, Ultron relinquished Titan and fled into space. He eventually returned to Earth with the goal of transforming its human populace into cyborgs like him. In the battle to stop him, Iron Man learned that Ultron's method of creating cyborgs actually killed the human side in the fusion process. So even though Ultron claimed he was now the perfect harmonization of man and machine, it turned out that Henry Pym actually died the moment Ultron merged with him. Oh, well. The revelation caused Ultron to surrender and he was imprisoned in a vibranium casket. And that's his history. Now the version of Ultron that will be fighting in this match is not the cyborg version. Though I wouldn't say he has a typical version, he does have fairly typical abilities. Among them are his indestructible adamantium shell which makes him strong enough to lift over 75 tons. He can fly at supersonic speeds and he can control graviton fields, which grants him basically telekinetic control over objects in a tractor beam-like fashion. Graviton devices were what he used to raise Sokovia in the Avengers Age of Ultron movie. Right. From his hands, Ultron can fire concussive energy blasts, and from his head, he can fire what's called an encephalo ray, which is a mesmerizing beam of energy that can hypnotize others or put them into a coma. Ultron can absorb electromagnetic energy to power his internal nuclear generator power supply. And finally, he has technopathy, which lets him remotely control any technological device within his vicinity, and he can even transmit his consciousness out of his body into another machine. And those are his powers. What a ripoff! Holy crap! Ultron is like such a ripoff of Brainiac, it's not even funny. What are you talking about? Let me get into his backstory. Well, I wanted to talk about how scared you are about Ultron's power set. I'm not. Okay. All right. Just playing it cool. I see how it is. Good strategy. Okay. So a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away existed a planet known as Kolu, whose inhabitants valued knowledge and technology above all else and evolved into possessing the most advanced minds in the universe. It wasn't long before their scientists created an artificial intelligence so intelligent and advanced that it was able to duplicate itself and enslave the entire Kaluan race, taking control of the planet and ruling over it through a set of machines known as Tyrants. The computer Tyrants controlled everything, except for one man, a brilliant scientist named Vril Drox. Vril attempted to overthrow the computer tyrants, but was captured and his organic body was destroyed. But Vril had the last laugh. He had developed microscopic nanites that downloaded his consciousness upon his death, allowing him to live on and easily invade computer systems. This allowed his Kaluan descendants to eventually overthrow the computer tyrants. And in Vril's quest for knowledge, the nanites that now contained his mind left the planet to explore the cosmos. The nanites spread from planet to planet, 
multiplying and evolving, transforming and perfecting their forms to make their quest for knowledge more efficient. Eventually, some of these nanites arrived on the planet Earth, where they found a metahuman psychic named Milton Fine, who was a sideshow carnival mentalist known as the Amazing Brainiac. The nanites were able to successfully invade Milton's mind, take control of him, and amplify his mental powers. Requiring cranial fluid to maintain their possession of Milton, the nanite-controlled Milton went on a murder spree in the city of Metropolis, which caught the attention of Superman, who recognized Milton as Brainiac and was eventually able to overcome his powerful telepathy and telekinesis. You can learn more about Superman in our Superman vs. Doctor Doom episode, which I think is like episode 4. Lex Luthor, wanting to study Milton's mental powers, captured the villain, only for the nanites within Milton to escape and take over the minds of several LexCorp scientists. You can learn more about Lex Luthor in our Lex Luthor vs. Baron Zemo match. The nanites used the LexCorp scientists and the company's resources to build a spaceship and used Milton's DNA as a basis to genetically engineer a new Kaluan body, referred to on Earth as Brainiac. Now a physical match for Superman, Brainiac fought the hero once again. Superman proved victorious, however, and Brainiac left Earth, only to return after taking control of a planet-sized weapon known as Warworld. With the help of Earth's other superheroes and the new gods of New Genesis, Superman was able to stop Brainiac's invasion. Seemingly rendered catatonic, Brainiac's inert body was taken to New Genesis for observation. Big mistake! After learning <laughs> about the new god technology, Brainiac's nanites revived his body, and he escaped New Genesis, returning to Earth after Superman's death and return put into motion a plan from the shadows that turned the public against Superman and made the hero think he was going insane. Eventually, Brainiac revealed himself to Superman, who destroyed Brainiac's body. After an unsuccessful attempt to take over the bodies of Doomsday and Lana Lang's baby, the Brainiac nanites created a new robotic body, Brainiac 2.5, which Brainiac planned to upgrade at the dawn of the new millennium by hijacking LexCorp's Y2K safeguard software, which had been downloaded into nearly every machine on the planet. Brainiac's planetary data size, however, allowed the Brainiac from the future to download itself into Brainiac 2.5, evolving him into Brainiac 13 of the 64th century. After taking control of Warworld once again and teaming up with Darkseid of Apocalypse and Earth to defeat a cosmic entity known as Imperiax, Brainiac 13 ultimately betrayed Earth and Apocalypse, revealing he came to this time to absorb the unlimited and universe-destroying energy of Imperiax. Lex Luthor, Darkseid, and Superman were successfully able to boom to Brainiac 13 to the beginning of time, where his exploding energy became the Big Bang ultimately destroying this version of Brainiac. Eventually, a robotic version of Brainiac returned to Earth and fought Superman, or Superman Thought. His cousin, Supergirl, who you can learn more about in our Supergirl vs. Captain Marvel episode, explained that this version of Brainiac was just a drone, and that Superman, or anyone for that matter, had never seen the true Brainiac. Brainiac, Supergirl explained, was actually a being feared throughout the universe, known for sending drones to planets to check for intelligence before invading the planet with massive skull ships containing robot armies that take over the planet's technology. The skull ships then shrink the planet's most advanced city into a small domed container to keep as a trophy. Once all of the planet's technology and knowledge has been captured, the planet's sun is destroyed and the ships return to Brainiac. This, according to Supergirl, was what happened to Krypton after Brainiac acquired her native city of Kandor. So wait, the reason that Krypton was destroyed was because of Brainiac? I thought like its core exploded. So there's multiple reasons for why Krypton exploded. In some versions, like a radical extremist group irradiated the planetary core, which turned it to kryptonite, and that just kind of killed everyone. But one of the other more common reasons for why Krypton exploded was because its sun went supernova. And Supergirl explained to Superman that the reason their sun exploded was because of Brainiac. Oh, gotcha. Hmm. Superman eventually followed Brainiac's trail to meet the reborn cybernetic Kaluan, Vril Drox, 
who easily overpowered Superman before traveling in his mothership toward Earth. Brainiac successfully shrunk and captured the city of Metropolis, and it was narrowly successful in destroying Earth's sun, but was ultimately stopped by Superman and Supergirl once he was forced onto the planet's surface. This was not, however, before Brainiac successfully killed Superman's adoptive father, Jonathan Kent. Metropolis and Kandor were both restored to their natural size, and the latter eventually became its own planet, New Krypton. Lex Luthor helped Brainiac escape government custody, and together they destroyed New Krypton, but not before Lex betrayed Brainiac by destroying his mothership, something the heroes of Earth didn't want to do in fear of also destroying the bottled cities within. Depowered with the loss of his ship, Brainiac was nearly killed by the Kryptonian General Zod before Brainiac's descendant, Coral Dox, aka Brainiac 5 from the future super team, the Legion of Superheroes, teleported Brainiac back to Kolu to face justice for his crimes. Brainiac escaped Kolu, however, and managed to breach the Source Wall, a barrier at the edge of existence behind which lies unlimited creative energy outside the confines of space and time. After the Flashpoint event rebooted DC's continuity, the computer tyrants of the planet Kolu had no longer existed. Instead, the scientist Vril Drox discovered the Fifth Dimension, garnering the attention of powerful beings known as the Multitude, who crossed into our dimension and began destroying worlds. Before Kolu could be destroyed by the Multitude, Vril shrunk his city with his wife and child despite protests from the rest of his planet. He fled Kolu with the aid of an artificial intelligence he created called Computo, which he merged with before creating a fleet of ships and drones to travel the cosmos, quote unquote, saving planets from the threat of the multitude by shrinking and collecting one of its cities, including Kandor of Krypton. After learning Krypton had been destroyed, but a survivor, Superman, had survived and lived on Earth, Brainiac sought to add him to his Kandor collectible to keep all of Krypton's survivors in one place. Brainiac managed to shrink Metropolis while hunting Superman, though Superman was able to return the city to normal size. After Brainiac took over the body of Lois Lane, Superman threw him into a black hole. Thing. Brainiac emerged on the other side, rescued by an old version of himself, the pre-Flashpoint version that had breached the Source Wall and evolved into a god machine known as Brainiac God. Instead of collecting cities, Brainiac collected entire universes, discarded during the multiversal cosmic events such as Crisis on Infinite Earths and Flashpoint. Ultimately, Brainiac helped prevent the collapse of these realities, leading to the reformation of DC's multiverse. With the multiverse restored in the Rebirth timeline, Brainiac's history returned to his normal pre-Flashpoint version. Powers-wise, Brainiac has the highest level intellect and most powerful mind in the DC universe. Not only is he telepathic and telekinetic, but he's able to mentally control technology and possess other machines and beings. With his cybernetically enhanced body, he possesses strength, speed, and durability, and he can restore his body from a single line of code. He's a master engineer, having developed numerous gadgets and tools, including force fields, energy blasters, missiles that can cause supernovas, shrinking rays, unstoppable sentry drones, and massive attack ships, inside of which his powers are amplified so Superman's punches don't even phase him. He's one of the most powerful beings in DC Comics, is Superman's most formidable foe, and there's no way Ultron stands a chance. I'm sorry, I fell asleep during that whole thing. What happened? Shut the hell up! <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm not threatened because everything that you said powers-wise in regards to Brainiac seemed fairly comparable to what Ultron could do. Oh, you think so, huh? Hmm. We'll yeah. see how this plays yeah. out, I guess. Let's do it. So now that we've gone over the characters' histories and abilities, let's speculate on how one of the 1,000 simulated matches will go. The winner is ultimately determined by the simulations, but it's fun to imagine how this could play out. We don't set any rules for this match, other than the characters don't know anything about each other going in, except that the other one is a threat that needs to be put down. And they start off about 50 meters apart in an environment that has no bearing on the match itself, because we don't take stats for the environment. 
Plus, certain characters have advantages in some environments over others, and we want these characters to win on their own merit. So let's get into it. The characters meet on the battlefield. Who goes first? Ultron is a little bit more emotional than Brainiac. Brainiac is a little bit more cold and calculating, so I think Ultron would probably go first. I agree. The dude's crazy. He's going to start off by shooting a concussive beam from his hands straight at Brainiac. First field. The beam never hits Brainiac because it's just stopped by an energy force field. And as Brainiac is protected by his force field, he does like a mental scan of Ultron, sensing that he's a robot. Right, because Ultron doesn't have a mind that could be scanned by psychics. Then Brainiac just like reaches out towards Ultron with his like metal tentacle that reaches out from his back and just like lunges at Ultron, yanking Ultron towards Brainiac. At which point other metal tentacles emerge from Brainiac and these things are like Swiss army knives with like buzz saws and lasers and they start dismantling Ultron. How are they gonna dismantle Ultron when he's made out of freaking adamantium? No laser is gonna penetrate his shell. No buzzsaw is gonna penetrate. He's just way too damn durable. He can't be physically hurt, really. Battle damage means nothing to him. So Ultron is just like cackling maniacally at Brainiac's attempt to dismantle him. And he grabs these tentacles and he like yanks on him with his super strength and he like breaks them in half because adamantium is stronger than whatever metal these tentacles are made out of. What? And he you punches, I'm pretty sure. And he punches Brainiac right in the face and sends him flying backwards away from him. Okay, but Brainiac is pretty durable. He could take hits from Superman, like no problem. So he may go flying back, but he's not like injured. And he uses his tentacles to kind of like eloquently like land himself on the ground, at which point he aims one of those tentacles at Ultron and it kind of like opens up to fire off a nuclear missile right at Ultron's maniacal face. A nuclear missile? Yep. <laughs> well, I've seen Ultron tank a supernova blast from Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, before. So a nuclear missile seems like a huge step in escalation, but... <laughs> Given that Ultron is that durable and, you know, not made of organic material, he's essentially just going to no-sell that atomic missile what? like a badass. Ugh. And I'm hoping that Brainiac is, like, out of range of that blast, by the way. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I mean, he's super durable, again. Uh, okay, okay. And I'm thinking, in fact, Ultron would even actually be able to absorb some of that nuclear radiation to power his own internal nuclear power source. So, what? if anything, you just powered Ultron up a little bit. And he uses this increased energy to shoot this graviton field right at Brainiac. And since you pissed Ultron off, he's just going to use these gravitons to lift Brainiac up in the air and slam him down on the ground a couple of times. I don't know, he could- And then Ultron just uses that graviton field to rip Brainiac apart and like disintegrate him. Okay, but before Ultron could do that, I mean, Ultron is a machine and Brainiac can mentally control machines with his technopathy. No, no, but Ultron already has technopathy too. So I don't, I think they would like cancel each other out. Well, Brainiac isn't a full machine. So I think Brainiac would be in more control of Ultron than Ultron would of Brainiac. So before Ultron can rip apart Brainiac, Brainiac takes control of him and prevents him from doing that. I don't think that Brainiac's technopathy would work on Ultron, but I will say that their technopathy wouldn't necessarily cancel themselves out. You'd have to think that they would affect each other in some way, if nothing less than to just slow each other down in instances like this, where Ultron's trying to rip Brainiac apart. Okay, so maybe Brainiac doesn't take control of Ultron, but he does hinder him enough to stop him. Okay, that's fair. I'll allow it. <laughs> But since Brainiac isn't a full machine, he does have like an organic brain to him, right? Right. That means that he's susceptible to Ultron's encephalo ray. So that's what Ultron's gonna do next. What does that do again? It's like this uh, mesmerizing beam that can like put people into comas and hypnotize them. So Ultron's eyes are gonna go crazy and he's gonna shoot this beam out right at Brainiac and it's gonna affect the organic side of his brain and it's gonna like put him into a coma. Brainiac has like the most advanced mind in the DC universe. I don't think he would be susceptible to hypnotism. Of course. What? Okay. Does he have an organic brain? Yes. Does he have organic eyeballs? <laughs> most likely. Then there you go. Ultron has used the encephalo ray on gods like Thor before. I'm pretty sure it'll work on Brainiac. Okay. So Brainiac, you said he's put into a coma? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's happened to him before. 
I mentioned that in his backstory, when he went to New Genesis, he was just resuscitated by his own technology. So that's what's going to happen here. Like, we'll say that Brainiac is smart enough to have fail-safes where, say, he's ever mentally incapacitated. He has compartments on his body that'll eject these miniaturized Brainiac drones that'll just grow in size, okay? So Brainiac now has, like, an army of these things, and they all go for Ultron, while a few of them stay behind to resuscitate Brainiac. No bringing in outside help. (laughs) Too bad. Ultron doesn't have any of his drones in this match. What the hell? No, but with Brainiac, like, shrinking things and re-expanding them are part of his power set. All right, whatever. What do they look like? What can they do? They look like walking metal skeletons with, like, these honeycomb, like, exposed brains. They look pretty cool. Oh, yeah? So they're not going to be too much of a threat to Ultron. He's just going to be laying waste to a lot of these fools. Okay, but while Ultron is distracted and Brainiac comes to, he uses a shrink ray to shrink Ultron. What? (laughs) Yeah, he just shrinks Uh, him to like a millimeter tall. Well, I mean, Ultron has had access to Pym particles before, but I can't say without any uncertainty that he would have them in this match. Um, All right, that's actually a really good move because what the Avengers have done in the past to Ultron is alter his molecules like that since they can't destroy him since he's indestructible. So Ultron is tiny now. Yep. Uh, Let's go to the stats. (laughs) Okay, let me think. So he's a millimeter tall. Uh, He's going to fly into one of these Brainiac drones that Brainiac just pulled out. And Ultron is going to use his technopathy to take over that drone's body. So you didn't really do much. Ultron just is now in a new body. And he begins technoforming it to look more like himself. Although now it's not made out of adamantium anymore. That's right. But what he's going to do is that he's actually going to assimilate all the drones around him and he's gonna start technoforming them to form this like giant-sized Ultron body. What? Yeah, he can assimilate technology in that way. So now Brainiac just fucked himself. He <laughs> Ultron has this huge body, and he's just really just a tiny speck in the robot's mind, controlling the whole thing like a badass robot Godzilla. Okay. Um, to combat this giant-sized Ultron, I'm gonna say that Brainiac had a miniaturized skull ship in another compartment on his body. Okay. So so he just expands this giant skull spaceship and remote controls it to attack the giant Ultron. (laughs) This is actually a really cool visual. Yeah, it's like a spaceship with a giant skull face with all these like metal tentacles coming out of it against a giant composite Ultron. And the skull ship will use those tentacles to kind of like wrap around Ultron, like binding him so he can't move, and they slowly dismantle him. Yeah, that's what happens when you're not made out of adamantium anymore. That's right. Well, but this contact is dangerous because Ultron still has his technopathy, and he's controlling every single individual unit of himself, and one of these individual Brainiac drones goes into this Brainiac skull ship and takes that over. So now you're really screwed, (laughs) because now Ultron has assimilated the skull ship in addition to all of Brainiac's drones. He's just taking over everything. He just puts the skull ship on his head like a helmet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And he's like the ultimate badass, and he just freaking annihilates Brainiac with a few of those supernova missiles, and it just ends the match. Except that from the very beginning of this match, Brainiac's nanites have been invading Ultron's body and just like dismantling his code. So the moment Ultron thinks he's gonna destroy Brainiac, his systems just get taken over and now he is Brainiac. The assimilator becomes the assimilated. Exactly. Or so you say, I still think that Ultron got those missiles off and Brainiac is just a pile of ash. So either that happens or it doesn't and and Ultron gets taken over. We'll go ahead and leave the match there. We'll find out which scenario ends up playing out by running simulations on this match and finding out which of these characters comes out on top. We'll be right back with your results. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. 
I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I actually really like this match. Yeah, I figured it would be a lot of fun. Um, in putting the stats, though, there were quite a few differences here. Right. We said that they were comparable when it came to movement, speed, strength, range, and perception. But when it came to evasiveness... Brainiac has just been shown to use his force fields a whole lot more probably coinciding with the fact that he's not quite as indestructible as Ultron is. So Ultron can actually tank a lot more damage, which is why, although he ranks lower in evasiveness, he actually ranks higher in durability than Brainiac does. Yeah, I mean, Brainiac can no-sell hits from Superman, but that's when he's on his mothership. Like, otherwise, he is really durable, but not as indestructible as Ultron's adamantium form. Brainiac did have the leg up, though, when it came to damage level. This guy can destroy entire solar systems. Yeah, through a ship, but as we've seen, he's capable of shrinking gargantuan-sized technology down to manageable levels. So Brainiac gets the edge in terms of the level of damage he can cause, as well as fighting skill. Although both characters have expert-level knowledge of fighting styles, they don't necessarily use them in combat. They're not those kind of fighters. They could throw down with the best of them, but it's not like they themselves are doing kung fu. Yeah, they could just mentally process movement faster than most fighters. We said that Brainiac was slightly smarter than Ultron, considering... That one hurt. That one hurt. <laughs> Are you surprised, though? Not necessarily, because Brainiac just has the accumulated knowledge of so many different civilizations and planets that it just outclasses Ultron's mind. I mean, Ultron's pretty smart because of his computational thinking ability, but in many ways, Ultron has made some pretty dumb mistakes because he can get kind of emotional at times, which overrides his better judgment. Brainiac is much more cold and calculating. So all that considered, who do you think's got this? Well, I'm pretty confident that Brainiac is going to come out on top. And our followers on Instagram agree with me. 65% of them chose Brainiac as the winner. And I wouldn't be surprised if the results came out to be around that same percentage. Yeah, but there's some error going on here <laughs> with the 65% number because Ultron is a badass. Well, if he's a badass and he still loses to Brainiac, what does that make Brainiac? Just an overpowered, boring character. <laughs> But you don't have to worry about that because the winner of this duel matchup between Brainiac and Ultron is Brainiac. That's right. That's right. Yeah, he is an overpowered, boring character. Brainiac <laughs> beat Ultron out of the 1,000 matches 606 times, whereas Ultron only won 394 of the battles. So it's 60.6 versus 39.4. Brainiac is the ultimate victor. So he wins about two-thirds of the time. No, he wins about three-fifths of the time. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a Brainiac. You, yeah, you are definitely <laughs> not a Brainiac. You must be a DC fan, like stacking up an additional 61 wins in your mind. I was rounding. Well, you rounded the wrong direction, my friend. I mean, whatever makes you feel better for losing, <laughs> you know? I am a DC fan. I'm a fan of winning. Ugh. All right, so yeah, this matchup goes down in the books. As a DC victory, Brainiac wins. Let us know what you thought about the results by writing to us at dynamicduelpodcast at gmail.com or by visiting us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find links to all of our accounts by visiting our website, dynamicduel.com. And on our site, you can also find a link to our Patreon page where we offer bonus content, including custom duel matchups. I think this week we've done like Sonic and Kirby, but we also do things like blooper reels, which are always funny and embarrassing. Yeah, check out patreon.com slash dynamicduel right after this episode. Our lowest tier is only $2 a month. Also on dynamicduel.com is a link to our merch store, where we sell t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more with our Dynamic Duel No Prize artwork. And this week, I will be drawing Ultron. So get your Ultron t-shirts and stickers and hoodies after listening to this episode. Our next episode is going to be another duel like this one. It's going to lead up to our 200th episode where we're going to pit the JSA against the Fantastic Four. So we still got to get through our JSA roster, which is going to include one of the Flash characters, Jay Garrick the Flash. And these Flash battles are always really hard because it's really difficult to defeat a Flash character. We've done a few matches with them, like we did Barry Allen versus Quicksilver, and we did Wally West against Speedball. This time we're going to go a little bit different route by pitting Jay Garrick against Electro. 
who is not a speedster per se, but wields energies that can travel about as fast as he can. So it should be interesting trying to mix it up with the flash battles. Yeah, both characters use lightning motifs, and they both have some of the funkiest headgear in comics. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so look forward to that next week, guys. We want to remind everyone again to please subscribe to our show if you haven't, or please leave a rating or review on your platform of choice. Sharing this show on social media or in person is also a big help for us. But that does it for this episode. We want to give a big thanks to our executive producers, Ken Johnson, Jace Crump, John Spees, and our new producer, John Starosky, for helping make this podcast possible. We'll talk to you guys next week. Up, up, and away. True believers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.